Thank you, Quentin. Well, good morning. So good to see you all this morning, to be able to uh, worship together and um, continue to just be reminded of those words, man, what powerful words we sang. Um, How you love me. If you're a guest, um, let me just tell you, um, and really this is for all of us to hear, but specifically I know it's sometimes helpful to remember this as a guest if you're worshiping with us for the first time, um, and maybe you haven't been in church for a little while. God, in his sovereignty, brought you here as a reminder, as a display, as a confirmation of his love for you. That's why you're here. You didn't just come here on accident. Yes, you're maybe invited by a friend, a family member, but God in his great love for you, not willing that you would stay far from him and away from him, by the power of his spirit has drawn you into this place. And that's a really, really powerful thing to remember. Um, We're not here just out of routine, but we're here to meet with God and to hear from him. And I'm so glad that you are with us this morning. Uh, My name is Ryan, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And uh, I know a few of you perhaps are here. Uh, Maybe you met us last weekend at our egg hunt or gathered with us at the stadium on Easter Sunday morning. And so thank you so much for uh, coming here and joining with us in worship this morning. We're um, going to continue in our study in the book of Acts Uh, It's one of our practices here is we just sort of work our way through books of the Bible. And so we've been studying the book of Acts. Uh, We'll pick up at the end of chapter two. Um, But this study that we're in, as we think about um, the study or the book of Acts and what what God is doing through it, it is a uh, reminder and it teaches us that the Holy Spirit of God is at work always. And this book records for us the work of the Holy Spirit. The reason it's called Acts is it's the actions. It's what God is doing, was doing in his church as he established it here. And the beautiful thing is for all of us is that as he is continuing to work through us, that the Holy Spirit of God that we see and all the things that we're going to study and read about that happened in this book are continuing to happen. He's continuing to do these things. And the Holy Spirit leads us to obedience in Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It leads us, he leads us to follow God and to pursue God and to walk with God. And we have the opportunity to respond to that prompting of the Holy Spirit and to follow him in obedience. As we think about obedience, I know sometimes that word obedience can even have a little bit of a negative connotation. Um, We can hear that in our hearts and minds. One side, if you were raised in the church or spent a lot of time in the church, you may sort of sort of default to a little bit of hearing. When I say obedience, you hear legalism or like, hey, I have to do these things in order to receive God's favor or to be loved by God or anything like that. And that's not the obedience that we see here on display. No, the obedience to God is an obedience that leads to our flourishing and goodness. And it's not something that we do to receive God's favor. It's not something that we try to do to even guard ourselves against harm or anything like that. No, obedience to God by empowered by the Holy Spirit is something that flows out of our life in response to what Christ has done. We're going to look closely at the New Testament church, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 40, 41 through 47, excuse me. And as we look closely at that text, we're going to see people who are living in obedience to Christ, 
so that his name would be glorified, so that he would be lifted up. And they're not doing that begrudgingly, and they're not doing that because they want to try and earn God's favor. No, they do that out of response to what they have seen Jesus do. These are the apostles that have seen Jesus' life on full display, and they have said, I want to live for him. I want to walk with him. And here's the beautiful thing. If we struggle to do that as we struggle to do that, the Holy Spirit leads us. If you've ever been wanting to have a test, I've had some conversations over coffee sometimes with folks, and and you may think to yourself, I really wish I understood more clearly what the Holy Spirit was leading me to do. I wish I had more, just, uh, it it wasn't sort of nebulous. I'm going to give you one simple test. It's not the universal thing, but it's a pretty good one. It, it, It works for me most of the time. If I'm considering going to the left and the left will tell me, hey, I'm going to, if I make this decision or follow in this way or walk this way, that's going to lead me to bring glory to God. That's going to lead me to, uh, to have to sort of sacrifice and to maybe say no to myself. And then the other direction is I get to go this way. And if I go this way, then I'll be satisfied and I'll kind of be taken care of on my own. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you, that's the, he's telling you to go this way. The Holy Spirit's always going to lead us into obedience to God. The Holy Spirit's not going to lead us to satisfy our own desires and flesh. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking a bit of yourself, well, I've got one that I could go either way on that, Pastor. I could go left and it feels like that's not super selfish and not just self-serving and might bring glory to God. Or I could go this way and I could bring glory to God. Good news. Just pray for peace and start walking. And the God of the universe will make your path straight. We don't have to sit there and wonder. But the Holy Spirit is always going to lead us to obediently follow God and lead us to worship God and lead us to give our lives away for the sake of the kingdom. That's what the Holy Spirit of God does. And he was doing that in this church, this New Testament church, the first gathering of saints, as we look at the story found in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Would you stand out of reverence for God's word as I read? So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the work that you did, recorded for us from what we just read all those years ago. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are still at work doing these exact things today, and we can have confidence in you. I pray that you would lead us into obedience, a greater degree of obedience this morning, and perhaps for some of us, that first step of obedience is to simply believe, to respond to your prompting as you lead us to put our faith in Jesus. And so whatever you have for us today, Holy Spirit, we thank you for it. And collectively, I pray we could yield our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, move and do what you intend to do and only you can do. We pray these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. So if we go back to verse 41, 
recorded for us, it says that there were those who received the word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The first thing that we can learn from this text is something that we talk about very often in this church. You'll hear it continually. If this is your first time, you'll hear me say this over and over and over again in the years ahead if you stick with us. The word does the work. It is the word of God that was proclaimed to these people that uh, prompted them to be saved. Notice it says, so those who received his word, that is Peter had gotten up because the crowd, after the Holy Spirit had descended on this, uh, this, this group of disciples, they're gathered all together, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they're able to start speaking in other languages that were not their own, and they're proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus and all the work of God to these people in their own language. And a few of them begin to think, well, they must be drunk. Peter says, no, 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 they're not drunk. It's too early in the morning, and that's not what happens when the Holy Spirit comes anyway. So, Holy Spirit prompted them, though, and Peter stands and he says, let me tell you about this Jesus, and he preaches a very powerful sermon. That's what we looked at two weeks ago. He preaches that sermon, and what he preaches to them is ultimately the word of God. He calls back on the prophet Joel. He calls back on the psalmist. He illuminates and he elevates the word of God, and he says, this is what you should have expected if you knew this book. Don't be surprised that this is how God is moving, that his Holy Spirit has come, because that's what he does, and that's what you should have been looking forward to. And in hearing that word, as they received that word and heard that word, it says there was 3,000 of them who were baptized, the word does the work. It's not about me. You're not here to hear from me. If you are, you're gonna be really sad because it's just gonna be pretty terrible. But if you're here to hear from the word of God, in some miraculous way, you're gonna hear that through me. You're gonna hear from God's word. This is what we put our hope in at this church. It's this book that we live our lives accordingly to. I just was downstairs. Some of uh, some folks that are new here, we had our 101 class. That's where you come to get to know the church. If you haven't been a part of one of our 101 classes, let me encourage you the next time you hear an announcement about it, come back and it's just kind of an introduction if you wanna join our church and be a, a, a part of this family. And I just told them one of the values of this church is that the Bible is true, that we rely on the word of God. It's our authority because the word is what did the work. And here's what's really amazing. 3,000 people came to faith that day. Do you know that those 3,000, that's more people than all who were recorded for us saved in all of Jesus's ministry? 3,000 in one day, you add up all those that we have at least recorded in scripture, and we don't know everyone, but those that were recorded in scripture through the work of Jesus's ministry, that's more in one day than all of those others. That's because the word of God does the work. This is also why when Jesus told them, you will do greater works than I in John chapter 14, this is why. Because he knew I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, my spirit is going to descend upon you, and you're going to proclaim my word to thousands of people and they will be saved. And so this is what happened. And of course, that first step of obedience for those new believers was that they were baptized. I think Pastor Kyle and his welcome to you this morning encouraged you that we're gonna have a baptism class. It's an opportunity where we will walk you through how it is that we do baptism at this church and encourage you to share your story of baptism. That's an act of obedience Friends, let me encourage you to take that step. If you've never been baptized and you've put your faith in Jesus at some point, you've said, yes, I believe in Jesus. The first thing he calls you to do is obediently follow him in baptism. I know you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm a little shy. I don't know, like, I don't like to be in front of people. I, like, I hear all of those excuses and all of those things that are hard. I get that. I empathize with them. But let me just give you a testimony. We've baptized 
I don't remember. I wish Kyle was here. He could shout it out. But we've baptized a few hundred people in this church in the nine years that we've been around. And there's not been one baptism where the whole congregation said, yeah, I really didn't care for that one. (laughs) That testimony just didn't really hit right for me. Didn't really like. Every single time, it's a celebration. It's a celebration of what God has done because it's not about you when you get baptized. It's saying, I'm gonna follow Jesus just as he was baptized. I'm going to be baptized and I'm gonna just simply tell the story of what God has done in my life. And we're going to help you. That's why we have a class, by the way, to help you frame that up, to understand a little bit of your story. So come to that class, but don't, don't, don't push that off and not be baptized because of yourself. Be baptized because that's what, the, 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 what God would call you to do. So as we look at their life together, as they are saved and they are baptized and they declare, verses 42 through 47, give us a picture of what the church should look like. They give us a description of this New Testament church and it is somewhat descriptive. It's not always prescriptive. Those are different things, but it gives us a picture of how we are to live our lives together. And as we look at this early church, I believe that we can be encouraged on how we live our lives together even here today. Again, filled with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that was doing the work then and he is still doing it today. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The first thing that we see is that this church was feasting on Jesus. I know that might sound strange to you, but the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We feast on all sorts of things. I gave that message last week as I talked about our tendency to worship other gods rather than worshiping the resurrected Savior. And if you want to go back and listen to that, you can. Go anywhere we have a podcast. You can find our previous act story or messages as well as that. But we proclaim that Jesus is who we feast on. We want to know Jesus. We want to worship him with our lives. And this is how they live that out. The first is, once again, they were devoted to the word, the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to knowing God's word, to hearing from him. They spent time in his word and they listened to the teaching of the apostles who were telling them of this work. This is something, again, that we should be doing as a regular part of our lives together. That's why we have this moment weekly so that we can feast together on God's word. And also as you gather in homes, in your fight clubs, in other small group gatherings, all of that is to help you, to encourage you to feast on God's word. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and then the fellowship and spending time together, being a family together, living life together. And this is what we do. And then it says that they broke bread. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now that did, of course, involve, they shared meals. One of the reasons that the meal is so powerful is because in this culture of the Bible, the meal was a celebration of fellowship with one another. And it sort of declared that we are family, that we are friends. If two people who were enemies of one another and they came together and they sort of put their disagreements aside, they would sort of just uh, 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 inaugurate their new friendship and say, yes, we are no longer enemies and they would have a meal together. The meal was a powerful moment. We know it's somewhat diminished a little bit by all of our fast food, but still a meal is a powerful moment. You know when you go to someone's house and they've made you a meal, you, you, you feel the love and the power that is involved in that. 
More than that, friends, this is where also what Jesus did in the Lord's Supper was such a powerful moment. It's the reason that they devoted themselves. When it says breaking bread, they're not just talking about the meals they shared, the sort of the generic meals, but also the meal that Jesus gave them, the Lord's Supper. And they took that and they reminded themselves over and over again of what Christ had done. You wanna talk about someone who was an enemy who then shared a meal with his enemies to declare that there is peace? That's what we memorialize when we receive the Lord's Supper together here. We remember that we were enemies of God and through what Jesus did for us, he laid down his life for us. His body was broken and his blood was shed. And as we receive that, we remember that he has had a meal with us. He has shared a meal with us and in and, and doing so, declaring that we have peace with him. We've talked about baptism as one ordinance. The Lord's Supper is the second ordinance that we celebrate here as a church. And we see that here all the way at the very beginning in verse 42. They broke bread together. They received from the Lord's table together. You know, as I thought about this, it just struck me and just kind of put myself in the place of the apostles that were doing this and and doing this, it it seems, with as we're going to see here in a few moments, with joy. These are the very people who had spent many of them, years walking with Jesus, spending time with him. And then he had died. He went to the cross and yes, he rose again and he affirmed for them. He showed himself to these people as he was fully alive. But then he had ascended and left them once again and gone to the right hand of the Father. This is what Jesus did. And I just think of myself as a friend of Jesus. You know what? I I don't really want to be reminded of his death. That makes me sad. Why would, I, why would I want to do, sort of remember every week or on a regular basis this, my friend, Jesus, who's not here with me? Well, the reason is, is that they were so convinced, their faith was so strong in what he had accomplished through that death, burial, and resurrection that no longer was his death something that was sad, something that broke their hearts, even his absence from them as a friend after spending three years. With, just imagine you spent three years every day for three years with one person. Now, I know some of you are like, I'd be ready. But most of the time, if there's a good friend, you're thinking, I'm gonna miss that person. I don't want them to be gone from me. Imagine you could spend three years with Jesus and then he no longer walks with you. There's gonna be a bit of a grief. The only thing that, 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 that bridged that gap and that led them away from that being something that was sad for them was they understood in the depths of their souls the power of Jesus' work for them. And so now his death and his resurrection was something that brought them great joy. And as they remembered that death and they remembered his resurrection, it was something that they celebrated every single day. We too should be people who celebrate what Christ has done. Celebrate his great work as we remember him. And we get to do that also, as it says there, the end of 42. They devoted themselves to prayer. Yes, they prayed independently of one another, but they also prayed corporately with one another. This is why we spend time on Sunday mornings, why we spend times when we gather for meals, why we encourage you. And it was so sweet just a couple, last month to gather with so many of you in corporate prayer that Thursday evening where we prayed for one another and we prayed for the needs of this church and we prayed for our community and all the things that were about to happen through our Easter gatherings. And we prayed and we saw God move. We saw God, by the way, I told this on Easter Sunday morning, we asked very specific people that I know are diligent in prayer to pray for sunshine on Easter Saturday and Easter Sunday because we needed it. We were gonna be outside and God answered that prayer. 
Now, he might not answer that prayer next year. I don't know why, but he gave us a very sweet weekend together in answer to prayer. And there's so many other prayers that I know have been prayed for one another as a family as we pray for the needs of this body. We get to pray. What a gift that is. And they, so the summary of all of this, again, is they feasted on Jesus. Their life was devoted to the things of Jesus. They surely did other tasks. They surely did other things. And we don't know their, their professions and some of the other jobs, but they were moms and dads and brothers and sisters. And so they, were, they had jobs. They, they, they had all these things. But they spent their time, what's recorded for us, is their focus was always on Jesus. And as that was so, notice the response, what happened in the community that, that surrounded them. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul. Back in Acts chapter one, Jesus had told his disciples that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And as he came, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the Holy Spirit came as he, Jesus had brought, or as the Holy Spirit had drawn all of these Jews to Jerusalem for Pentecost, for that celebration. And the Holy Spirit comes and they begin to testify to all that Jesus had done. And then they live their life together as they live together doing all these things that we just saw. And the community around them is in awe. These are people, by the way, who are far off from God. We can't forget the context of this situation. This is a church that is existing in Jerusalem in a place that is ruled by Romans who oppress them. Do you remember what the disciples begged for Jesus to do when they saw that he was raised from the dead? They went to him and they said, Jesus, now will you initiate your kingdom? Will you finally get rid of all of the oppression and all the hate and all the struggles and all the strife that we've been walking in? And he said, nah, that's not for you to understand. I got other plans for that. We'll deal with that later. What you need to know is you're gonna be my witnesses to all these people. You're gonna be the one that tells them and testifies to my power and my work. So these are not people that were friendly to the church. These were not people who thought, oh, that's beautiful that the church is over there. In our community, we have a little bit of both. There's probably some people that aren't friendly to the idea of Christianity, aren't friendly to the God that we worship, all those sorts of things. There's others that sort of just think that's really sweet that they're there, and I like that they have their place that they can go and gather and do that. And then there's others that are sort of curious about all the work that we're doing. They're curious about God. And some of you are here this morning, perhaps you came in and you said, I'm just sort of curious about why y'all are here and what you're doing and what would possess you to collect 31,000 Easter eggs and you know all the things that, are, that we do as a church family. That's the same type of thing that they were walking in there and notice what it says, awe came upon them. The community surrounding this body of believers was put to awe. Have you been in awe recently? It's not something that I walk around every day thinking, yeah, man, I am in awe of that. You know, when I go see the Grand Canyon, I'm in awe. When I see um, beautiful art, I'm in awe. I got to spend a little bit of time in creation this week, and I was a bit in awe of the view. I rode my bike just down around the corner here, and there's this beautiful field of blue bonnets. And I was just a little bit in awe. I know, I'm a Texan, so I just go I'm kind of a sucker for the blue bonnet. You know, but I, it was just, in, but that's not a regular occurrence for me. I'll just, be, I'll just be honest. It's not like, I don't find myself thinking, man, I'm in awe of this. These people... As they live their life together, God used them to cause the community around them who didn't necessarily like them, didn't believe in the God that they worshiped, to be in awe. What is happening over there? What is God doing? You know what's amazing? 
I get to hear testimonies of people who come into this body, not just on Sunday mornings, but as I meet with them, maybe for a cup of coffee. And they talk about our church and they use language of awe. That's amazing what God is doing there. They think of the, they see the beauty of our gathering of people called City Church. And they're in awe. And you wanna know why? Because there's not any single one of us yeah, well, there's a few of us that have certain affinities that we sort of share together. I like doing this and you like doing the same thing. And there's a few of us that maybe have some similar backgrounds in terms, but for the most part, we're all from all different walks of life. We come from all different families. Every single one of us, our upbringing was a little bit different. Every single one of us has a different story. We have all sorts of reasons. There's more reasons for us to divide apart from one another and say, you go over there and I'm gonna camp up over here and you get over there just like this, what's happening in our culture all over the place, tribalism and every other sort of, they, that, that's, that's what's happening all over the world. And yet the community of people that surrounds this church as they watch us and they see us live our lives together, as they come into our homes and spend time with us or come to worship with us, they look and they say they love one another how could they love one another why do they spend the time that they do why do they give away the way that they give why do they do the things they do and their hearts whether they realize it or not is led to acknowledge there must be something big happening here God must be doing something and he is and all came upon every soul now, as you read further, you see it says, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And you can sort of use that statement to say, yeah, that was happening. They were in awe because there were people, many signs and wonders being done. And our hearts and minds go to miracles. We think about the things that Jesus and some of the apostles did. They were raising people from the dead. They were seeing sicknesses healed. They were seeing all these sorts of things. Friends, we can't miss that we are witnesses and testifiers as we see in baptism, as I talked about just a moment ago, that the same things are happening here today in this church and in churches all over, not just our church, but churches all over our community and around the world. Dead people who are dead in their trespasses, as we just saying, God being rich in mercy is raising them to life. Many of us would say that we've been raised to life in Jesus. We have life. That is a miracle of God that we can't ever forsake. Don't make light of that. Don't say, no, that's not a real miracle. That's the greatest miracle of all time, that a dead person would be raised to life. And it's happening here. It's not physical deaths. It's spiritual deaths. That's what we see all around us. We see other, other situations where people are giving away resources to care for people. We see sick people that are being healed. We see all sorts of things where God is clearly at work. We should celebrate that. And as we do celebrate that, we get to celebrate that the people of God are a witness and such a witness that awe falls upon the people who watch us. As I think about how we live life together, a friend of mine shared this with me this week. And the way that we welcome and why. And if you're a guest with us, um, just know that we're so thankful that you would take the great leap of faith that you did to walk in this building. Um, it's not lost on us that our regular parts of this church family, that that's what it took. You, prompted by the Spirit of God, drove up into a really dusty and kind of confusing and squirrely parking lot. And you walked in here and you sang songs or listened to us sing songs that don't 
seem exactly, or maybe are a little bit foreign to you, or they're new to you. You're not sure why we sing the songs we sing. We have a rhythm, and I came up to stand, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's when we sit down now, and now, now we're going to stand up again, and then we're going to sit down again. You did all of that. You're walking through all these things that we do that are kind of second nature to us. Let me just say thank you and honor you and bless you for taking a great leap of faith to step into this place so that we hope, and the reason that we do that is that you might hear from God, and you might look at this church family, and you might be led to say there's something that God is doing And through our love for one another and our hope, our love for you, you experience and recognize that God loves you. He brought you here to experience that love. He brought you here so he could cause your heart to be stirred up in such a way and say, there must be a God. He must have something for me. And that's why you're here. Brothers and sisters in Christ, As we've welcomed guests today and we do every week, as you welcome them into your home, providing hospitality, cooking them a meal, doing whatever it is that you do, whether it's here on a Sunday morning or out in the community, I wanna remind you and encourage you that you have no idea the story of the people that are walking into your life. We have no idea the stories that follow or are behind those souls that have taken a giant leap of faith to come and join us this morning in worship. The reality is it's more than likely if they're here, there's probably a mom, a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, an aunt or an uncle who's been praying for two decades that their loved one might meet Jesus. And God in his sovereignty has said, I'm gonna bring them to City Church on Sunday, April 16th so that they might hear of his love for him. Don't ever miss that. Don't lose sight of the fact that as we welcome and we do our very best and we serve in the parking lot and we serve out there and there and we invite people over to our home and we cook our very best meal and share our very best with them, give and give and give. We do all of that because it's possible and it's, very, it's, it's not just possible, it's very likely that that love, that, that person that you're engaging with, that you're extending the love of Christ to is someone who has been prayed for and been being prayed for for many, many years. And God is answering a mother, a grandfather, a brother's prayer through you, through us. We should take it seriously. God is using us, we hope, to cause hearts to be in awe of his great love for them. Verses 44 through 45 describe sort of in a summary how this church and how the church is called to live our lives together. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They did this life together. They shared their possessions. They, they met the needs of the body. By the way, this wasn't something new for them. This was just a continuation of what God had called them to do. There's many verses throughout the Old Testament that talk about this, but one of the more familiar ones is in Malachi chapter three, where God instructs the people of God to bring the tithe, to bring a percentage of their first fruits into the storehouse, and they bring them to the storehouse so that those things could be distributed and meet the needs of the body. 
We are called to still do this today. It's not the law. We don't do this out of some sort of legalistic or obedience that we have to give money and have to share our possessions in order to receive the blessing of Christ. But no, knowing the generosity of God towards us, knowing his benevolence, knowing how he's met every single one of our needs, we generously and joyfully bring what we can into the storehouse so that it can be distributed to anyone in need. You'll notice here at this church, we don't pass the plate. We have places to give. There's boxes out there. Kyle points those out every now and again. We have online. We've got a QR code for everything under the sun these days. So we, of course, we have a QR code that you can find a link to give or go through our website. But the reason is, again, speaking to our guests that are with us this morning, we don't. Th- this calling is not on you to meet the needs of the body. The body of Christ, those who are believers in Christ, have been called to meet the needs of the body. And so we ask and, and, and rely on those who are members of this church to give And to do that in such a way that the needs of the body might be met. Guests, we're not asking you to give. We don't want want anything to interfere with you hearing God's love for you. And candidly, when we start talking about money, it's just one of those things that happens. But we are called to give generously. And this church gave generously to ensure that every need was met. That there wasn't a want that was found amongst the people of God. They lived sacrificially. Notice again it says... They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There were some in this body that had wealth through land, and so they sold that land so they could meet the needs. They could feed someone is all they needed to do, all that was needed, and so they met those needs. And ultimately what this teaches us is that the church as it comes together and the church that causes and is filled with the Holy Spirit living obediently is one that says it's not about me. Once again, one of the values of our church, it's not about me. It's about the kingdom. It's about Christ's glory. And if it's not about me, then whatever I've got, whatever gifting I have, however God has created me, I can use that to serve his kingdom. In verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Verse 46 gives us the marks of a Christian community and how we live together. I don't have much time left, but I want to summarize it in this way. Notice how he begins verse 46 and how verse 46 ends. It says, and day by day, They did these things. They attended the temple together. They gathered in people's homes. They received gifts from the God, God, and then they gave those gifts away with glad and generous hearts. They had favor again with all people. They were peaceful people. They weren't people that were at war with all those who were opposed to them or thought differently than them. All of those things happened. And so day by day, they lived this out. And guess what happened? Day by day, people were being saved. Do we want to be, are we called to be, do we want to ask God to be a people where we see daily the work of God at work in us, moving in and through us day by day? Do we want to see people being raised from death to life? Do you want that? I want that. I don't want that for my glory. I want to see people who are far off from God, who don't have the hope that I have, who feel at war with God and just have no peace in their life. I want all of those things I want them to be saved. I want them to know the Jesus that I know. I want them to have the peace in their soul that I have. How is that possible? Well, the word says that day by day, we live our lives as God has called us to, filled with his spirit in obedience to the commands that he's given us. Day by day, 
The Christian walk is not something that is a Sunday to Sunday. Some of us live paycheck to paycheck, and sadly, some of us as Christians live Sunday to Sunday. We need to be people who daily are spending time and walking with Jesus. The Christian walk is not just something that we do on a sort of interval basis. We do it regularly. The daily Christian walk is just that. It's a daily walk. Yeah, we have moments like last weekend at Easter Sunday. We have moments that feel these big days. We have baptism Sundays that, again, my heart is just overjoyed on those days where I get to hear testimony after testimony after testimony of somebody that said they were too shy, get up and tell the church what Christ has done. I love those days, but this is, those are the high points. This is a daily walk with Christ that we live day to day. Just think about a marriage that only celebrated the work of God on anniversaries and the rest of the time kind of ignored one another. That ain't gonna go too well, I'll just tell you. Same way our walk with Jesus is something that we do daily. And so it describes what they did. They went to worship, they gathered in homes, they received with glad and generous hearts, they received and then they gave away because they understood that everything that they received was a gift from God and so they could give it away. And that led to them having favor with all people, not just the right people, not the people that they just got along with, but with all people. In the same way it said that there were souls being saved, every soul being saved. Now this is all people who find favor and find the people of God favorable. This is how we're called to live. Now, as we think about this powerful life and this life that is filled with the spirit and that I celebrate, that I see so regularly here at City Church and my hope is that we would just be spurred on in our continual walk with Jesus. I wanna highlight and bring you back to verse 37. It's not gonna be behind me on the screen, but in your Bibles, if you wanna go back or maybe write this down, chapter two, verse 37. I want you to see the contrast. In verse 37, Peter has preached this sermon He has declared to them who Jesus is. He's told them that they should have expected the Holy Spirit to come and this is all that God was going to do in the church. And this is what they said back. Now, when they heard this, when they heard what Peter had said, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. That cut to the heart is not some sort of a little side jab. That is a deep wound. Their hearts were pierced by the word of God. They were pierced by what God had done. They were grieved and mourned their own sinfulness and their their own betrayal and all the ways that they had denied God. They, they They were moved by that and cut to the heart. There was a conviction that was there. Like, ooh, that's from God. They knew it was from God. And the Holy Spirit then leads them to respond. And Peter says, believe and be baptized. And they said, okay, I will. They repented and believed. And then go back and read what I just read for you. I don't know if you catch this, but 42 through 47, the tone of that text is joy. The tone of that text is worshipful. The tone of that text is not, they've moved from conviction, from deep wounds. Like, I know this is from God. And they've responded to that. And now they're living lives that are completely different than the life they led before. And they're doing all the things that God's word describes for us in 42 through 47. And they're doing it winsomely. And the Lord continued through that joy, through the way they lived their lives together, continued to move and day by day, more and more were being saved. The worship team 
we're gonna stand and respond in just a moment. We're gonna sing that we only have one hope in this life and the next. And that hope is Jesus Christ alone. Friends, if the Holy Spirit of God pierced your heart today, brought conviction and you felt, man, that, maybe you don't know Jesus, you didn't know who he was. Again, you just kind of came in here curious about who Jesus is. Don't miss, don't, don't look past that conviction. Don't sweep it under the rug. Let me just invite you to respond to that conviction. Respond to the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you and calling you to repent and believe and know the life that he gave to give you. Receive that today and believe in him. For those of us who've been walking with Jesus for some season, whether that's two weeks or 27 years, maybe there's a conviction there of some of these things that we're called to live as this obedient life that the spirit prompts us. We've sort of pushed the Holy Spirit aside. We haven't feasted on Jesus because we've been feasting on too many things of this world. As we stand and sing this song, I have one hope. Let that reignite in your heart and even reaffirm for you and, and respond even to God in prayer and say, yes, God, I will put my hope in you and you alone. Let's stand, let's sing. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.